Thanks for listening to the weekly teaching podcast for City Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. It is our desire to be a Jesus-centered family on mission. If you live here in Knoxville or are ever visiting the area, we'd love to have you with us at one of our Sunday gatherings. You can find out more at citychurchknox.com. If you're interested in giving financially to help us reach more people in our city, you can give easily at citychurchknox.com give. And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at citychurchknox.com. With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Well, good morning, church fam. What's up? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I like that. So if I haven't had the chance to meet you yet, my name is Marcus, and I am one of the pastors here at City Church. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to First Chronicles. First Chronicles 29. Feel free to look that up in the table of contents. I'm sure many of us don't always go to First Chronicles, or at least I don't always. Um, so last week we kicked off our Give Like God series, and our big idea was that God has been generous to us, like unbelievably generous towards us. So we have the opportunity as followers of Jesus to be generous, unbelievably generous to others. And so as we get started today, I want to kind of get us going a little bit. I'm not going to have us do push-ups or anything like that, no jumping jacks. I'm not going to make y'all do that. Um, But I do want to get a show of hands, so I'm going to need everybody to participate. Balcony, I see you. Everybody up top, everybody down here. How many of you guys have ever heard the phrase, God loves a cheerful giver? Oh, wow. That's a lot more people. And I thought, that's great. Okay, so for me, and I'm sure for many of you guys, I've heard, I heard this a lot growing up uh, in church um, on Sundays. And it was mostly during uh, prayers right before the tithes and offerings, right? I'm sure some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm not sure if it was meant to be like a guilt trip type thing or like a scriptural way to like Jesus juke you into giving But uh, for me, you know, I just always tried to play it off like I knew exactly what was happening, Um, even though I didn't really know what it, what that meant. Like, I didn't know what it was meant by being a cheerful giver, because for me, being a cheerful giver is almost the same equivalency as being a satisfied Tennessee fan. Especially, you know, like listening to, I'm, I'm a Tennessee fan, you got, come on. Uh, especially listening to this as a kid, right? Like, I'm, I'm a little kid, and if, if I could remember back, little kid Marcus, I feel like, conceptually, sure, like, I get this idea of being a cheerful giver, but you know what else I get? I also get that I want to save up for this WWE action figure. Like, that's what I'm trying to save up for, fam. So, you know, I'll be a cheerful giver just probably to myself. Um, So needless to say, I I never really understood this on a practical level, right? Never understood it. I kind of got it, right? Theoretically, I kind of got it that God loves someone who gives cheerfully. We, I feel like we're all on, a, on board with that idea and that concept, but no one actually taught me that. No one actually taught me this. And so because of that, for today, I feel like what we're going to teach on today is actually going to put us on that path to be someone who uh, is a cheerful giver. That is what I want us to do. I want to take our childhood and and bring it into modern day um, so that we can explain what it actually means to be a cheerful giver. And hear me say this, all all cards on the table, I'm not saying that by the end of this teaching you're going to be, you know, the most cheerful giver out of everyone. Like, I'm I'm not saying you're going to be doing all of that. I'm not... I'm not claiming that, but I do feel good about saying that this today is going to actually be a good start for everyone in this room, for everyone in this room. So get your notes app out, you know, pull that joint out, get, get your journal out, because I want you guys to write a lot of this stuff down, because like I said, I really believe this is going to be helpful for all of us. 
So with that being said, we're going to kick off with some history before we actually read our verse. And so, yeah, back in the day, um, around this time, God's people understood the presence of God to primarily reside in a physical location. So God came down from heaven to chill with his people. Like he was just kicking it with his people. And for a while, that place was called the tabernacle. And then eventually they called it the temple. And this temple was a physical uh, building where God's people would come together to worship, to make offerings, and to interact with God himself. Now, as we know, that's not how God the Father operates these days. He's not just, you know, coming down and chilling with us right now. But that's kind of how it went back in the day. And kind of where we're picking up on things is that God's people is in need of said temple. And for them, building this temple would need to be a community project. Like, all hands on deck, everybody needs to get on board. Like, offering materials, manpower, money, you know, all the resources, you name it. All of that needs to happen in order for them to get this temple. So at this point in the story, Israel's king... Israel's King David has just asked all of God's people to do just that. And get this, they actually step up to the plate. God's people have rallied together to provide every last bit of funding and materials, manpower, all the things necessary to build uh, this magnificent temple where they can meet with God. So now that we have the context, let's go ahead and see what David says. King David says in verse 10, he says this, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord. Somebody say, Yours, Lord, for me. It's kind of, it doesn't roll off the tongue as well, but yes. Is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is whose church, fam? Exactly. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give thanks, or we give you thanks, and praise your glorious name. You got to love David here, right? So David just, I want you to get this. David just oversaw the most successful building campaign of all time, right? Like the most successful building campaign. And as he's addressing the very people that gave all the stuff, you know, he doesn't just be like, hey, you know, you know, walking up to the Grammys like, hey, like, you know, I just want to thank you know, my mom, I want to thank my dad, I want to thank so-and-so, I, I see you guys, hey, what's balcony? He doesn't do any of that, right? He does none of that. He actually gives glory and honor to God himself. He touts the, the Lord's greatness. He says everything, somebody say everything, belongs to and comes from God himself. And just so, just so we don't get it twisted, David hits us with a list, right? He says, greatness, power, glory, majesty, splendor, wealth, honor, strength, power, in case you guys missed it. And for the record, everything else in heaven and on, on earth. For David, every single thing that exists rightfully belongs to God himself. Here's another way the Bible puts it in Psalm 50. This time it is God talking. So he's going to use the term mine instead of yours. But it's basically the same idea. So Psalm 50 goes like this. For every beast of the forest is mine. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, I know all, somebody say all, the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. Look at this, look at this next line. It says, if I were hungry, if I were hungry, 
I wouldn't tell you. I'm not going to disclose this information. If my stomach is growling, you will never know. Like, God's like hitting them with that shade, man. It's getting cold up in here. Like, for the world in its fullness is whose? It's mine. Y'all didn't think y'all were going to get this much interaction, did you? Uh, so, so after reading this passage, in, in case you were wondering um, what's God's and what's yours. Oh, I know I'm preaching. You don't, don't, you don't have to worry. Let me say it one more time. In case you were wondering what's God's and what's yours, I think God has made it pretty clear what's his. He's, he's made it pretty clear. God just said, I own everything. So growing up, um, I grew up with a lot of cousins, and I used to hang out with them all the time. And one time, one of my cousins uh, kind of got in their feelings about something that doesn't really matter, but it just got in their feelings about something. They stormed out the house um, and slammed the door. And my aunt, their, their mom, immediately went, hey, don't you, uh, don't you dare slam my door. You know, she yelled it. I'm not going to yell at y'all. But, like, she was like, hey, don't you dare slam my door. Like, th this is my house. So, so, so that's my door, obviously. Don't slam my door. Again, if you can imagine yelling, that's what was told and walking towards. the. But um, God just told everybody, all of us in this room, the whole entire world, this is my house. This is my house. I own everything. Everything you have, it's mine. But you might say, you know, in your own voice, in your head, but Lord, that's my voice for you, but Lord, <laughs> I work a 40-hour-a-week job. I work hard for my money. And then the Lord's like, for sure, I get it. I'm, I can't imagine God saying for sure, but for sure, <laughs> for sure, I get it. But who gave you that strength to do what you're doing right now? Who, who gave you that breath in your lungs to actually work? Did you, did you? Did you supply your own breath? I mean, you tell me. I don't know. But Lord, but Lord, I studied really hard to get where I'm at in school. I know some of you college students in the room. I studied real hard to get where I'm at. I put in some long nights, fam. Some long nights. Mountain Dew, I was. But who gave you that brain? Who gave you that brain to handle all that? You know, I can't remember. It's hard to remember who did that. That's very hard to remember. Hmm. I'll let y'all think on that. Um, Here's the way Timothy Keller uh, puts it in his book, Generous Justice. And I think that uh, this quote really kind of helps us think critically about this. I think it's up on the screen. If you had been born on a mountaintop in Tibet in the 13th century instead of a Western country in the 20th century, then no matter how hard you worked, you wouldn't have had much to show for it. So if you have money, power, and status today, it is due to the century and the place in which you were born, to your talents and capacities and health, none of which you earned. In short, all of your resources are in the end the gift of God. All of your resources are in the end the gift of God. So everything comes from God himself. Everything. Everything comes from God. Now, if, if you're still having a kind of hard time with this, and I get it, I, I would, 
here's why I think that might be. I, I think it's because it has been ingrained in us since we were little kids. Since we were little kids, from, from culture, from our parents, all of that. It's been ingrained in us to look at our money, to look at our resources, to look at our stuff as our own. Right? That's generally how culture and all that works. So, uh, get this, it's kind of like this. Last year, uh, we inherited this building, right? Like, we inherited this building. It's a very beautiful building. It's so great. Um, but in the process of inheriting this building, we also inherited a dumpster. And with that, we also inherited the cost of emptying said dumpster, right? So after a while, we started noticing that people, not us, was actually using our dumpster, which to a degree is not necessarily a bad thing, but it was to the point to where even if we used it one time or maybe never used it at all, we were still having to empty the dumpster every few days. It was the strangest things. So naturally, we put a lock on it, right? Like that's what you do when you, someone's using your stuff. You just you put, a, put a little lock on it. So, so get this, one day, um, Kent is getting off work, and he, he's walking to his car, which is near the dumpster, and he sees this lady. Um, and uh, we'll just call her, I don't know, we'll call her Karen, because that seems appropriate for this moment. And she, she's walking with, you know, like two big trash bags, right? She's walking with two big, can you imagine this? Two big trash bags towards the dumpster. And so Kent, being Kent, he was just introduces himself. Um, and all that, hey, I'm Kent, I'm one of the pastors here, I'm from Greer. Um, he, he does all of that, and he explains the situation to her. And from there, she, you know, she went from that, that nice Tennessee drawl, niceness, you know, that nice Tennessee uh, uh, part of her, and she went straight to anger. Like, she just jumped really quickly, there was no transition. Um, she even yelled at Kent. She yelled at Kent saying this, quote, Quote, eyewitness observation, quote, just because you own the dumpster doesn't mean you get to decide who does and doesn't use it, unquote. Yeah, I just wanted to sink in. To which Kent said, actually, ma'am, do I have some bad news for you? That's actually how owning works. <laughs> so, so, so Karen is very easy, obviously, to pick on right now. Um, she's probably been using this dumpster for like two, five, ten, whatever. She's been using it for a very long time without anyone stopping her. So what had happened was, was that she, she's been treating this dumpster like it was hers for so long that she, she began to functionally believe that it was hers. She began to functionally believe that it was hers. But just because she was operating like that, just because she was operating like it belonged to her, right, doesn't mean that it actually did. Y'all tracking with me, right? Everybody can see that, right? Well, since y'all are tracking with me, just know that that was a trap. It's a trap. If you watch Star Wars, it's a trap. Um, when, it, when it comes to money and our resources, a whole lot of us in this room are Karen right now. We've operated so long under the impression that our money, our resources, our stuff is our own. That we have begun to, like Karen, functionally believe that it is ours. So when, so when God says otherwise, when God says, hey, I want you to do this or that with your money, with, with the money that I've given you, we, we begin to Karen that joint, right? 
we begin to fight back some. We begin to get a little defensive. We begin to get a little prideful. I was uh, convicted most recently uh, when I was writing this sermon, which is often the case when you uh, write a sermon, you, t- <laughs> you tend to get convicted by it. And so um, for those of you who do not know, for those of you um, who haven't heard my story, I am a graphic designer um, and, uh, by trade and profession. I work at UT. Again, I love UT. UT's great. Um, and as I was writing this, I, I got a call to help with a freelance design, so a side hustle, a little side gig, um, that would have been a nice bonus for the wifey and I. And don't you know it? Don't you know it that the Holy Spirit just decided to slip into my DMs? He just decided to slip, just get in there and say, so, that's my voice for the Holy Spirit, so, you remember that sermon you were about to preach? I don't know why the Holy Spirit has a high-pitched voice. Do you remember that sermon that you were about to preach? To which I was like, actually, sorry, God, I already budgeted that money, so I don't know what you want me to do. See, we've, me, and I would imagine all of us, or many of us in this room, we've trained ourselves or have been trained to believe that God's stuff, his blessings, his gifts, is primarily for us and us alone. That it really is our stuff. But see, that's, that's not how it should be. That's not how it is. And David knows that, right? That's why despite the incredible generosity of the people standing before him in the first chronicles, he starts by thanking God for his generosity towards those people. He knows that's where it all starts. And then, then and only then, does David get around to talking to the people who actually gave. But even when, he, uh, uh, even when he starts talking to them, talking about them, it's still from this idea that, that God's generosity towards them. He, he still hits on that idea of God's generosity right there. So let's check it out in verse 14. It says this, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all of our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. Lord our God, all this abundance, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly with honest and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. So David's prayer is quite literally, thank you, God, for giving us stuff. Thank you, God, for giving us these resources, this money, this manpower, all of this stuff so that we can give it back to you, so that we can give your stuff back. See, central to his understanding of generosity is that all this stuff ultimately belongs to God. And for us to get anywhere with becoming a cheerful giver You have to first accept the fact that nothing you have ultimately belongs to you anyway. So that car that you bought, it's God's. Maybe you bought a house recently. It's God's. Those shoes on your feet. Everybody look at your shoes. Man, I bet there's some good shoes. Those shoes on your feet. Some of you, yeah, you're shaking your head. No, it's probably not good shoes. Maybe everybody doesn't have good shoes. But still, the shoes on your feet, it's God's. It's God's. Here's here's why that matters. Because if you don't get this, 
If you don't get this, it will always feel like God's call to be generous is him trying to take something from you. It will always feel like that. You will always feel like when God, when, when God calls you towards generosity, he is trying to take something that you feel is rightfully yours. But see, when you understand that every single thing, that everything that you own belongs to God, generosity actually starts to make a little more sense. It actually starts to click. Because if it all belongs to God anyway, then doing what he wants with it is the next logical response, right? It just makes a whole lot more sense. So I'll put it this way. The the word uh, uh, the Bible uses to kind of explain this is the word stewardship. So we are to be stewards of our resources that we've been given by God. Now, stewardship is definitely a very churchy term. So if you didn't grow up in the church, I'm sorry. Um, It's a very churchy term. But like, let's think about it as like a money manager or an investor. We'll say it that way. So uh, um, there's a guy that I know who is a financial advisor. And his job is to take money uh, that clients give him and then kind of invest that money uh, uh, or manage that money in a way that is in his client's best interest. We We get that. And the way it's set up, he also gets a cut, but at the same time, he has an obligation to invest that money, uh, to invest that money in ways that will benefit his clients to the point to where that there are legal repercussions for him if it is proven that he is doing something other than that, right? So if he's like out there spending money all willy-nilly or whatever, or if he's like taking a bigger cut, all of that stuff, we have a problem, right? Like, there's a little bit of a problem. And so the reason there are legal repercussions for that is because it's not his money, right? It's not his money. It's, it's their money. So that is stewardship. And that is precisely how we should view what God has given us. We are stewarding God's money. We are stewarding God's resources, We are stewarding God's stuff. Again, it's everything. It's everything like we already read. We are called as followers of Jesus to manage the resources we were given uh, uh, for God's kingdom. Now, do we get to benefit from this? Yes. Yes and amen. Somebody say amen. It's okay to say amen. Yeah, amen. We get to benefit from this. God gives good gifts, so you get to keep your shoes for today. But if you only operate out of this framework, if you only operate out of this framework, then you will miss how you are to be generously minded and not selfish with God's gifts. And again, this is, this is something that is taught at an early age, right? Right? This is taught at an early age. You, you work for your money, so therefore you get to spend your money. That's, that's just how it works. That is how this world kind of runs, right? You work for it, you spend it. You get to dictate where it goes. But we are rarely taught, if at all, at least I wasn't, that the money you make is actually God's. So you should ask God for wisdom on what to spend it on. It's a totally different concept. Totally different concept. Again, at least that's that's not how I grew up. No one told me that. No one taught me that. So in in the book of Malachi, God tells his people that, that haven't been generous, that they are actually stealing from him. So if we neglect to steward our resources, our money, our stuff, the way God asks us to, it's not just that we have neglected to do something good. It's that we've actually wronged 
God himself. We, we have stolen from God. We have mismanaged his money. But hear me say this, when, when God's people views their money and their resources as, as both coming from God and belonging to God to bless others, when, when it clicks, we get a beautiful picture of generosity. One, one that David acknowledges and celebrates in First Chronicles 29. And then he goes on to say this in verse 18. Check it. He says, Lord, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. So David ends all of this with a prayer that God would keep this mindset, this attitude towards wealth and generosity in his people for generations to generations to generations to generations. He says, God, I want, to, uh, I want you to uh, uh, help your people in this. I need you to help your people in this. Help them to see that their belongings, that their resources, that their money, that their stuff, all of that is yours. It's ultimately yours. What an incredible and radical prayer for our day. And it's one that actually God answers. This one's going to be on the screen, but Acts 4, um, God answers this prayer. Um, and I'm sure there are other places, but this is the one that we, that we pulled out. All the believers, so God's people in the New Testament, were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that, that there were no, somebody say no, needy persons among them. No needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the cells and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. So get this, apparently it was fairly normal uh, in those days of the early church for there to be no needy persons at all, period, period. See, what, what they would do is anytime someone would have a need, people would sell their houses or their land, property, whatever they needed to sell, and then take those proceeds and give towards whatever was in need sold their house, you guys. House. So, well, let me put it this way. Let's say that we're all in life group together. It's a big life group. Welcome. Uh, you, <laughs> I'm glad you're here. Um, and someone in this room needs $500. Let's say someone in this room needs $500. Maybe the car broke down. Maybe had an unexpected bill or something comes up. And I would say how we typically operate is that, or at least for me, how I typically operate is that we would look at our budget, right? Look at our budget, if we have a budget, and be like, okay, is there wiggle room? Or like, can I make this work? Well, I already gave my generosity for this month. So I don't think I can give this time. I don't think I can, I don't think I can make this happen. Sorry, fam, I'm gonna pray for you though. So that's what we'll do. And hear me say this. Full disclosure, giving out of your extra and budgeting generosity is huge. I want to make sure I make that distinction. Please do that if you're not already doing that. Give, please. Make a generosity budget, all of that stuff. Make that happen. But if there is a level over 9,000, then the early church just went super saiyan. The early church was set up so that they budgeted and gave out their extras. But the difference, I would say, is that when they didn't have the funds, you know, the funds, so to speak, that they would sell their possessions to help. So uh, the equivalent is this. So again, someone in this room needs $500, right? And so 
you look at everything, you're like, man, I can't make that work. I don't have any room in the budget, but, you know, I just bought that, that PS5 joint. You know, I was playing that Spider-Man Miles Morales, and gosh, I would hate to lose it, but let me just go ahead and sell this real quick. Let me sell this PS5 so that my brother or my sister can have what they need. Do you see that? Kind of see the difference? Here's why people did that back in the day. And it's back up in verse 32, actually, so don't miss this. It's, It's because none of them saw any of their possessions as their own. See, in their minds, their houses, the land that they owned, ultimately belonged to God himself. So whatever need God had for it, that was what they knew they should do. They all saw every item they own as belonging to God, which meant that uh, uh, they did what, uh, uh, what God wanted them to do. They used them for, for the good of other people in their lives. And what an incredible picture that is of God's generosity towards us. It's such a beautiful picture because they, they understood that concept and that idea. So do you kind of see what's happening? David prays that, that God would keep this heart continually in God's people, and God does precisely that. Like, it's a big leap from David to Acts. It's a big leap. So God still continued all of that, what David asked way back in the day. He continued that in Acts, and, and even further, even further. Now, with all that being said, with all that being said, I feel like it would be very easy for me to get up here after showing you all those radical, very cool, sacrificial examples of generosity in the Bible and be like, okay, all right, fam, it's time to have a heart-to-heart. See how I got down on the table? That's serious talk. Um, We've got a long way to go because all of you guys are filthy, stinking rich. I've never said filthy or stinking in my life. Um, Filthy, stinking rich Americans, and you have so much a love for money that it's crazy. You get, so you need to work on being not selfish, you awful human beings, (laughs) and be a cheerful giver like good Christians used to do. Such a weird phrase. It's so funny. Um, But oddly enough, I have sat through sermons like that. And maybe some of you have sat through sermons like that um, with all the guilt tripping and everything. Here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing for, for me as one of your pastors teaching this message. We see this type of stuff here. We see all we see this type of stuff here. I've seen people um pay for people's bills. I've seen people um, pay for counseling for each other. I've seen people um, give furniture to people who don't have furniture. Like, they literally took their furniture and gave it to someone else so that they could have furniture. Um, Cars have broken down. People have either given up their car so someone else could have it so that they could drive, or they have just bought a car for the person. Matter of fact, I remember one time in life group, um, there was a laptop that broke for somebody in our life group. And basically what happened was we bought a new one outright. It was probably better than what it was before. (laughs) Just bought it outright. Such a beautiful display. Such a beautiful display. Matter of fact, uh, let me tell you one more. I've seen people literally open up their homes to people, literally open them up and say, hey, yeah, come live with me. Like, I know it's tough right now. Come live with me. Like, you may be going through something. Finances may be weird, or you may be in a transition of some kind. Come live with me. Come live with me. No restraints, no nothing. You know, you just tell, tell me when you're trying to leave. And not just once, you guys. That's not just a one-time thing. That, I have seen that since the beginning of City Church, the literal beginning of City Church, till now. 
It's been beautiful, beautiful to see. Now, if you are new here or you're still kind of checking us out and still kind of new here, hear hear me say this. This type of posture and heart is not to show how awesome we are. It really isn't. It's to show how awesome God is. It's to show how awesome God has been to us. That, that when a need arises, generally speaking, God provides for us so that we can provide for others. God has blessed us to be a blessing. Now, I'm not saying that we do it perfectly. Hear me say that too. I'm sure there have been plenty of situations where things have fallen through the cracks all of that stuff, or we have been selfish in the moment, or whatever, like, but by and large, I would say that the Lord has been gracious to us to kind of embody this attitude towards our money and our resources on a regular basis, which is so beautiful. So hear me say this, fam, I, I believe we are well on our way to being one in heart and mind when it comes to this, claiming that our possessions are not our own, um, and being able to share everything we have. We, we may not be level 9,000, but we are well on our way. Now, some of that might just be uh, uh, us giving, again, out of our extra, the margin that we have in our budget, all of that. And, and I really believe that is great. Like, that doesn't mean that it doesn't count. But at the same time, I know a lot of us. I know that a lot of us couldn't give the amounts that we've been giving without being a little sacrificial. We're, we're not a rich church by any stretch of the imagination. We were literally given a building, <laughs> otherwise we wouldn't be here. So if, if we're giving some of the amounts I know that we've been giving, kind of what I've been saying earlier, all those examples, there's got to be some sacrificial giving that's going on, right? So let me say, that's not going unnoticed. That's not going unnoticed by us or the people in our city. So we as your pastors are incredibly encouraged by this. Incredibly encouraged by the heart of generosity that God is knitting together in each and every one of you. It is so beautiful to watch. And I believe people outside of our church are watching as well. They are noticing. Because I'm sure they hear you when you post stuff on Instagram or on Facebook or, you know, when you go to your coworkers and you talk about this type of stuff when you were in need and your need was met, all of that stuff, it, the city is watching and it's very beautiful, you guys. But I also want to make sure that we, we don't forget the reason. Like, I don't want us to forget the reason why we do this. I think it would be easy in a church like ours where there is generosity happening regularly to forget the motivation behind it all. And really, the motivation is the most important thing. So in that vein, I want us to go ahead and take a look at one more passage. One more. Um, I know you guys have been, uh, uh, we've been covering a lot of ground this morning, so thank you for hanging in there with me. This one will be on the screen. It should be 2 Corinthians yeah, there we go. Second Corinthians 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So Paul here, he, he could have commended the Corinthians uh, to give. But instead, he motivates the early church to be generous with one simple principle. That God, through Jesus, has been sacrificially generous towards us. So we should be sacrificially generous towards others. That's it. That's the tweet. That's it. Sacrificial generosity from Jesus works itself out in sacrificial generosity towards others. If, if you want to become a cheerful giver, not, not just someone who, who gives, but someone who actually loves giving, someone who embodies this heart posture of sacrificial generosity, you need to take a long, hard look at the cross. Because that's, that's where it's going to be, right there. 
That's where generosity begins. Because for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. Jesus could could go into the most sacrificial moment of his life and do it for the joy set before him. And if he can do that, if Jesus can do that, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that lives in you, well, you can also do the same thing. You can do the same thing. So let's go ahead and kind of end here. This is where we want to end. Ben, if you don't mind coming on up. Last week, um, we ended practically. Um, and this week, we're going to end a little bit conceptually. Um, so here's the question. How often do you think about the generosity of God? How often do you think about the generosity of God? Do you think of him as the one who gave you everything? Like literally everything? So, you know, if you own a house, your, your house, you know, do you think uh, of only ways to use it for yourself? Or for what God would want you to use it for? Have you asked God what you should use your house for? Has that even crossed your mind? If you have a job, do you think, man, I'm so glad that I got myself this job? Or do you think, man, I'm so glad that God gave me this job and now, now I get to use this paycheck from this job that God has given me for his glory and for his honor and for the way that he wants me to use it? Like, have you asked God that? Have you asked God what to do with that paycheck? I haven't. Do you think of God as being generous to you so that you can be generous to others? And here's why why I want us to consider that question. Because the answer to, to that question is what's behind all of this. See, if you see everything as yours and only yours, and no one else's, then it's going to be real hard for you to be generous when God asks you to. If you have this mindset, it will feel like, uh, it will feel almost impossible to do anything like this in any financial season. But at the same time, those of us who truly see everything we have as God's, truly sees all of our resources, all of our money, all of our stuff coming from God himself and therefore existing for God himself are going to be some of the most generous people on this planet regardless of financial season or life circumstance. And that that is the hope, right? For us to be cheerful givers, that is the hope. And that is the prayer that, that we're going to be like God's people in First Chronicles 29, like, like the people in Acts 4, people that said, hey, I'm glad that you trusted me with this stuff, God, so that I can give this stuff back to you. We're going to live in ways that, that makes us the continued answer to David's prayer so long ago. We're going to become living demonstrations to our city to our city, you guys, of God's generosity towards us. And as the Spirit is already doing in this, uh, doing this in us, I pray that he will continue to do that more and more. To that, I would love to pray for us. Let us pray. Lord, thank you so much for um, your love for us. For your incredible generosity for, yeah, just everything that you have given us, Lord. 
Lord, for, for me, and I would assume for others in the room, Lord, we've been taught that any money we make, any stuff that we obtain, any resources that we get, that, that, that they're ours and it's all ours, and that it's meant for us, Lord, to, to do whatever we want to do, Lord. But Lord, I want to I pray against that. I want to pray against culture, pray against how we were taught, Lord. And I pray that you would help shift our minds, help shift our minds to, to look towards all of the stuff that you have given us as yours, ultimately yours, Lord. And, and I want to pray that you would help us to ask questions, Lord, to ask what you want us to do with our money, to ask what you want to do with our resources, ask what you want to do with our stuff. And whether that is to invite someone over to our house to live with us, Lord, maybe some of us needs to sell a couple of items to help somebody else in the church fam, Lord. Lord, I pray that your spirit would work pray that your spirit would work like the people, it, like, like your spirit worked in those in the Acts, in the early church, Lord. Like in First Chronicles, Lord. Lord, and I, I just want to pray specifically for parents as well. Because again, this is just, at least again, to me, this is a foreign concept, Lord. This level of concept. So Lord, I just pray that the parents in the room, no matter how small their kids are, think about kids like Wit or Jacob or Violet and all the other kids in the room who can understand the concept, Lord. Lord, I pray for their parents and I pray for the other parents in the room that they're able to teach their kids that everything they have, no matter how small, is yours, Lord. And that, that ultimately, with that mindset, then they're able to freely give what's yours whenever you ask them to give. Lord, help us with this help us with this. You have to help us with this. Burden us with this, Lord. We know this. This is not a one-time thing. This is not just something that we need to look towards for Christmas. This is not just a December thing, Lord. This, this is a life thing. So, Lord, help us to live this out from January to December. Help us to live this out, Lord. And I know as you help us, Lord, as you do this, I know that you will help us reach level 9,000 and turn Super Saiyan. Lord, you are good, and we love you. Amen.